0: Greetings and salutations one and all. Welcome to today's episode of Risk and Reels. I am your host, Jeffrey Wheatman, and I am super excited today to be joined by my friend, Rick Grinnell. Uh, Rick is a founder and partner at Glasswing Ventures who happens to be one of uh, Black Heights investors, but we're not going to talk about that at all. Uh, Welcome, Rick. It's nice to see you. Thanks for joining us.
1: Hey, Jeffrey. It's great to be here and thanks for having me.
0: Oh, it is my pleasure. So, um, let's jump right in. As, as, uh, as you know, from I know you've spent many, many hours watching all of the previous episodes. We always start off with a movie question. So, let me see. What do we want to talk about? How about what is your fame, favorite comedy of all time?
1: Oh, my favorite comedy of all time is also my favorite movie of all time.
0: Okay, no even better.
1: Uh, are you a golfer? Is it Caddyshack? No, no, not Caddyshack. That's, that's a, that's a good one. No, earlier than that, early seventies. And it's
0: not the Godfather.
1: No, That's, (laughs) uh, that's a good comedy. (laughs) No, Young Frankenstein.
0: Oh my God. That is hilarious. So first, first tell me why that's your favorite movie. And then I'm going to give you my Young Frankenstein story.
1: Oh, I just think it has so many great scenes, uh, Abby normal. And, uh, I I don't know, a walk this way, you know, hump, what hump, (laughs) uh, between Gene Wilder, Marty Feldman, Madeline Kahn, uh, Terry Garr, I could go on and on and on. And, and, uh, I think the scene with, um, Oh, gosh, I just totally spaced on a name. We'll have to edit this down. But anyhow, it's uh, Gene Hackman. Yes. The scene with Gene Hackman and the soup and lighting the cigar. There are so many scenes in that movie that just make me laugh every time I've seen it. And it's always been a Halloween tradition of mine to watch it. Now that my kids are getting older, I finally let them view it this year. They're 11 and 13. So maybe pushing it a little bit, but. It's uh, it's just a classic.
0: So 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 if you think that's bad, you're you're really going to think badly about me. So uh, maybe eight years ago, nine years ago, uh, I fill I did this survey online, and uh, this is, "Well, we could send you ten dollars, or you could pick two DVDs." I said, "Okay." So I picked two DVDs. One of them was Young Frankenstein, and it oh. shows up, and my daughter, who see, was eight, maybe. She's like, what is that? So I'm going, I don't know. I think actually that's probably okay. There are some some Mel Brooks movies I would not show her. So Rick, I'm not exaggerating. Um, We watched that movie 50 times in a year. It was the only thing she wanted to watch. So now reason now she's 17. So now recently we've been turning her on to the others. So we actually watch History of the World uh, right. uh part two, part one, which I don't know if you know, but History of the World Part Two is actually coming out as a series. Right.
1: I just saw that as a Hulu series.
0: Yes. And the, the preview, the preview looks good. But I yes, I agree. That that is a great movie. That I, I had a couple others maybe that I would put a little higher, but um, my favorite was every time they say Fra Blucher, you hear the horses go. Neeh. Right. right. <laughs> In the background. <laughs> yeah, no, that that was definitely a classic. He's he's amazing. He's 95, 96 now. Right. And he's still super, super energetic and still super, super creative. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm, I am the temp- very excited about History of the World.
1: You think about the – comedic talent you know to the delivery the writing and then the musical talent he he did most of his music right
0: yep yeah yeah uh, especially for the 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 shows online yeah he's i mean the guy is just you know i think a lot of a lot of artists do great work young and then they sort of run out like billy joel is a great example as a musician he tells you he says i'm not writing any music he said i wrote all the music i'm gonna write and yep. he does not want to put anything out that is subpar. And I think you, you got to have a lot of a lot of respect for
1: right. for and, him and, recognizing exactly. that. Exactly. And despite not having a lot of new content or any new content, he still puts on one of the best shows by any artist. Like every yep. summer, I'll go see him at Fenway. Uh, and he's yeah. just spectacular. Just yeah. he, unbelievable. He played...
0: He played, uh, at, uh, down by me, he played at the guitar hotel, the Seminole hard rock oh, casino, sure. and he comes out on stage and he says, I know what you're thinking. What the hell happened to that guy? Cause he, he <laughs> looks, right. he looks like a little old man now. Uh, but yeah, no, he does. And, so- and I don't know if he did it at Fenway, but he'll go, he'll say, Hey, we hear two, two songs. Which one do you want to hear? And he'll play whatever the audience sort of cheers, uh, Cheers louder for. So yeah, definitely uh,
1: a classic. I will open up a little bit and tell you a, a, a piece of personal history that my wife and I met on a blind date, And that date was to go see Billy Joel at the TD garden. Wow. Over 20 years ago. So Billy Joel holds a special place in my heart and in my you know relationship history with my wife
0: That's awesome. So it was Uptown Girl your wedding song?
1: No, it wasn't.
0: <laughs> that might have, that might have been a little bit too much. Well, that's okay. My 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 wedding song uh was Love Shack by the B52s, so I can't really criticize right. anything anyone <laughs> anything anyone picks. Uh all right, awesome. So um great great choice, definitely a a, a great choice there with uh with Young Frankenstein. Love that.
1: Uh, so So what is your favorite before you go on?
0: Oh, so I think my favorite is probably Caddyshack. Uh, and the funny thing is I've never even really been a golfer, but to me, I think it was a group of guys I was hanging out with at the time and we still, I'm still friends with them and we still throw lines out there. Uh, you know, we have a pool and a pond, but the pond would be better for you. Or, um, you know, the Dalai Lama, on your death, you'll have total consciousness. I just, for me, whatever, it just resonates. And that also might be the worst sequel ever made, Caddyshack 2. Uh Because there was literally, everything that was funny and charming about the first one was not existed in the the second one. So I think that's probably my... I have
1: to say what's funny is that my boys in sports hear their friends, you know, saying, Noonan, Noonan to to Miss... And they have no clue where it came from. <laughs> they think that's... Noonan is just a, a, a term in the, you know everyday vocabulary that's been around forever. I'm like, no, that's from Caddyshack.
0: Well, so talking about references that you don't know. So my daughter is uh, fluent in French. She loves it. She's actually majoring in French in, in university next year. And every time we talk about French, I say the only French I know is this. My name is Charles Boyer. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> well, it turns out, that line is actually from History of the World, except it's not Charles Boyer, it's Maurice Chevalier, ha, 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 ha. And we're watching it and it came on and my daughter just looked at me and she said, is that? And I went, I guess, like, I never even thought about it, right? But all Charles Boyer is who I remember and that is what we, what we use here. So it's, it's funny how that, uh, that stuff sticks in our craw. Yeah, Are they interested in that. hearing
1: where it came from
0: or do they don't care?
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I don't remember that one, but I do remember the world's first art critic. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: Yes. And yeah, it did not uh, it did not go well. Yeah, the the cavemen yeah. were funny. Uh all right, so uh name is Risk and Reels. So let's talk a little bit about, about risk. I, I thought Rick uh it would be super interesting for our listeners to hear sort of your thoughts and perspective. You've been in, you know, the investment uh, arena for uh, a long time. Obviously you, you, um, you know, invest in some third party risk uh, stuff like black kite. Um, They'd be interested to hear, what are you what are you seeing now? I think we might be on the cusp of a recession depending on who you listen to. I know nobody wants to say the R word. Uh, it looks like money's gotten tighter, but cyber is still super hot. We have new SEC regulations coming out pretty soon about cyber at the board. We're seeing right. Dora out of the UK which is focusing on 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 cybersecurity. So let let's hear your your thoughts on on where you see that market going. What's interesting, what's not and and we'll kind of play off that.
1: Yeah. So as you alluded to, I am old. I've been doing this for 23 years, (laughs) the first 15 at another firm. And then in 2016, my partner Radina Cesari and I started Glasswing Ventures to go after AI enabled software companies. And my specialty for the last couple of decades has been cybersecurity dating back to the old firm. And, uh, you know, pre-AI had been involved in some great companies and, uh, you know, was proud to be one of the folks who got a company called Resilient Systems off the ground in 2010, now a big part of IBM. Um, but around that 2015, 2016 timeframe, Rudina and I looked at each other and said, really, the AI wave is in its initial phases. And while it wasn't obvious like it is today, where everyone's talking about AI and chat GPT as part of, I think, the mass media hype, um, You know, we embarked on a path in those early days to become the first or one of the first uh, VCs on the East Coast, maybe overall in, in North America, to go long just on AI-enabled software. And With that strategy, we started to develop a few themes, both within cybersecurity and then enterprise SaaS and cloud infrastructure, where AI would play a near-term to mid-term role in enterprise evolution. And as you know, as a VC, we think about things in five to 10-year cycles. Our funds have a five-year investment period. They tend to have a 10-year hold period with the ability to extend a couple of years. Or beyond if the lps are, are willing so you have to think in finite time frames you can't necessarily as an ai investor go after general ai because that would take too long to materialize become real and then find enough uh you know uh, uh, value in the market and revenue to become a meaningful exit either as an ipo or an m a opportunity so you know we focus on very targeted places where AI can provide that near to midterm value, be developed, be deployed in the market, generate meaningful revenue to the point where an IPO or a multi-hundred million dollar to billion dollar plus exit is possible. Like my investment thesis around third-party risk and how BlackKite, um, you know, with the machine learning you have under the hood could help automate that process relative to what we were seeing in the market back in 2018, when I made the investment. So um, from that perch and through that lens of AI and cybersecurity and risk in particular, um, you know, right now it's a wide open territory. We're in the early days of the market, AI, as much as it's been marketed, as being a meaningful part of endpoint technology and network analytics and SIM and SOAR and other segments of that cybersecurity ecosystem, we all know, I think, that the marketing is ahead of the reality. A lot of things that have been marketed as AI haven't really been AI, they've been rules based, they've had uh, what I call old statistical methods, stuff that I learned 30 years ago back at MIT. The true world of AI, generative AI and other things that are in the uh, mainstream media today are really just getting adopted in some of the vendors. And, uh, you know, as you and I have talked about offline for another project, it's starting to show some meaningful value in certain areas and it's on the come in other areas. So I think you could argue that, you know, any of the use cases where there's large quantities of data, where AI can be applied to help reduce the noise to better sort through that data to find meaningful patterns or anomalies is, you know, where AI is playing a role today. So you'd look at SIM and SOAR a little bit, you'd think of uh, email uh, filtering, anti-phishing technology, and to some extent, endpoint. And beyond that, you know, what you guys are doing around third party risk analytics, obviously, you're uh, applying AI there. Uh, I have other companies, obviously, in the portfolio, given that's all we do that are doing AI uh, enabled software for fraud detection, for uh, uh, identity uh, management and access analytics, but it's still very early. I mean, as, as a VC, I want it to be very early. If, if it was already mainstream market, there wouldn't be an opportunity for us. Right. So I guess first and foremost, it's the early days of AI being applied in a meaningful way to cybersecurity. Over the next five to 10 years, I think you and I would both agree there's gonna be a rapid adoption and uh, you know, evolution in the market where AI will touch everything. Uh, obviously today it's being marketed everywhere, but I think the reality will catch up to, to the marketing in that five to 10 year period. At this point in time though, whether you're a cybersecurity company with AI or not, I think you know. number one, the market, and by the market I'm, I'm really referring to the buyers. So if you talk to your typical CISO, I'm not sure they care whether, AI is present or not. I think they will care more over that next five to 10 year cycle. But as I talk to folks on our advisory board, you know, we have a a number of industry CISOs and Fortune 500, Fortune 2000 companies and a few mid markets, you know, their typical commentary to me is I don't know if I care whether my endpoints or my SIM or my uh, network analytics are AI based or not. All I care is that they do the job. You know that they provide defense and i think we are at a point where it's not clear how long non-ai enabled technology will provide the best defense but as of right now you know there are a number of areas where you could say hey that rules-based engine is probably good enough and i think we've seen that particularly in, in identity management and things that are trying to locate insider threats you can set up enough rules to detect Anomalous behavior, and that triggers an alarm, and you can figure out that Jeffrey at three in the morning, or maybe you know at three in the morning, it's unlikely Jeffrey's doing that download that somebody <laughs> else has. You know, the only thing I'm doing at three to...
0: o'clock in the morning is rolling over.
1: Yeah, right. So, but, but I just but, wanna... but over time, I was just going to say, but over yeah. time, with with more data, more uh, you know combinations of actions that may be undertaken, it's harder to do that with rules. At some point your ability to manage things with rules exhaust themselves and you need ai to cut through all that noise.
0: Yeah, I, you know one of the things that i always whenever I talk about ai i always say there are three questions you should ask. Number one of a vendor, what do you do now that you couldn't do before using ai? What do you do better using ai? And what do you do with ai that your competitors don't do? And and i think to your point there's still a lot of hype there was a uh, uh, a study I saw a few years ago, for a company that covers venture and PE out of the UK, and they analyzed 500 deals. And they all, all the companies had somewhere AI or ML or NLP, something in their, uh, in their uh, prospectus. And um, they found only two of them actually had products. Everyone else had ideas. And they said, let's go get some money and then we can take the money and build, build something. And, and I mean, I think you, you nailed it. And, and this is something I think people, uh, have to be mindful of. AI is not a market. It's a feature, right? It's a way a tool can do what it's doing better. And I think until everyone really understands that, I think it, we're going to continue to see money being thrown at, at these buzzwords. But you mentioned chat GPT. And um, ChatGPT, I, I feel like maybe it's, it's really that sort of big shift, right? You know, we see all technology goes like this, and then all of a sudden you see this big jump. And I think maybe ChatGPT might be that. I don't know if you played around with it at all. I know we talked briefly about it a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. but it definitely does things that I've never seen before. And I'm no AI expert um but you know the ability to say hey write me 500 words on this and then say add add resources from this place um right. i actually i was playing around with it and i said write me a blog on this using five movie references right and it it did it and you know you have to tweak it but i, I definitely think there's some real real power there and i've been uh doing an ai presentation uh for a bunch of of um a bunch of groups and it's called, can, um, essentially can artificial intelligence ever be your CISO? Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, it's a little tongue in cheek because I think ultimately AI is always going to need to be partnered with people.
1: That's right. I agree. Right.
0: Yeah. And, and I just think the tools are never, I mean, you, you hit it. I think the crux of it, AI helps getting rid of background noise. So areas Mm -hmm. where you have a lot of data is, I think, Uh, Something. Um, Are you? And and I do think,
1: and I do think, ChatGPT could be a great resource to create the foundation for whether it's one of my kids' book reports or whether it's a compliance report, right? That you're going to report to the board, right? It could help aggregate and create a baseline of uh, the content necessary. But I can't imagine at this point in time making that the final final product,
0: right? Well, I, I did a little bit of an experiment. Uh, so I actually asked ChatGPT, um, "Where where should the CISO report?" And then I said, "Where should the CISO report in a bank? Where should the CISO report in insurance?" And I asked about five different industries, and the finance answer was a little bit different, but it, it was pretty much the same write up. And I think that's the problem. I think people are gonna run into. I think teachers in school in particular are going to start seeing very similar reports come in. And I think we we need to figure that out. But I I do, I think there's definitely some interesting stuff there. Um, and, and uh, if you've been on, you know, there's now a paid version of it, which they say you'll get new features. Um, but there are also some privacy implications, right? It's scraping all this data. Mm
1: -hmm. So,
0: um, Are you hearing from companies you're looking at that they're starting to use ChatGPT, or is it still too early for that? Too
1: early. I haven't. I've heard people kicking the tires, but no one using it in a meaningful way to create reports or do something else. And certainly ChatGPT isn't going to find the next zero-day attack anytime soon.
0: Uh, So that's interesting. Do we think that's true?
1: Uh, That... I do for at least the near future. I don't see how Chat GPT predicts the future to yeah. know what what is that next exploit that's coming across your network and trying to exploit uh, you know customer data or financial data. That's I think it could get there I, I think it could get there. I, I can see it as the today the front end on the reporting, but I still think you need you know something from Palo Alto or Crowdstrike right cuz yeah,
0: cuz one of the things that i you know i know a lot of people who are on the let us say the darker side of the of the security space uh right. you know i've been working at defcon for years so i know a lot of a lot of folks over there and one of the things they're telling me and pen testers are doing this too is while ai may not find the zero a day ai is making it much easier for them to generate payloads Correct. so right. and and right. i think there's a lot of power there and you know when i talk about ai with with clients when i was at gartner and now uh, the folks i'm talking to now from a different perspective is look there's three ways to look at ai your business is using it what what are the security implications there and the example i give right is if the bad guys can figure out how a learning engine works they can shift you from you know changing inputs they can give you different outputs the security tools are using it but the the attackers are using it as well and i right. think the tendency is to get blinded by the, the vendors yelling at you. Hey, AI, right. right, So
1: no, you are exactly right. You could use chat GBT to author variants of prior exploits to become the next, uh, next exploit, write malicious code, and then use that. If you're the good guys doing that to then know what future attacks might look like. Right. So, so, so let me like, ask you. Maybe it's like, it's like cre- creating vaccine variants before you know. Yep. Right. That right. that that the virus is coming.
0: Yep. And and the ability to quickly know what's not going to work, right? Because we've right. seen That's all right. of that before.
1: Right. So so, so an important so an important role, but in and uh, you know on its own, I don't think it's the detection engine.
0: Okay. So so let, now let me ask you a little bit of an off the wall question. Right. Everybody hears AI and what do they think about. What do they think about Terminator. So, what do you? <laughs> you, you have funny any that thoughts there? You said there?
1: that because, yeah, it's funny because when you said that, uh, it reminded me 2016 when we started raising our first fund. A lot of LPs were wondering what an AI focus meant because it was so not in the mass media right. hype cycle. It was early days. Uh, most folks, mainstream, didn't know what AI meant other than terminator and a few other sci-fi movies and they were wondering whether we were going to be investing in terminator robots or similar so you're bringing me back to seven years ago
0: (laughs) but i still i still maybe i'm just too paranoid but i still see risk there right um you know the kickoff of this ai deck i'm doing is you know a picture of a benevolent robot. Is this your new CISO? And then a picture of Hal Nine Thousand. Now I'm really dating myself, right from sure. from two thousand one. Two thousand and one. And then then you look back and you look at like Isaac Asimov's robot stories, right, where they had the right. three laws of robotics, the which then turned robotics, out to yeah. be the four, right. And then I don't know. I'm just I'm just afraid. Everyone says, "Well, we'll teach them to only do this." Yeah, until they get maybe some level of, of self-awareness. And and a, a great story for those of you out there, if you have not checked it out, it's an old book. It's called The Adolescence of P1. And it's about some, they might have actually been at MIT, but they were at some some um, you know tech-based uh, university. And they wrote a piece of malware that was a worm. And the thing became self-aware. And once they realized that, they tried to kill it. And it was able to get out. And they think they get rid of it in that. Well, I don't want to ruin the end of it, but it's just, it's funny looking at stuff like that because you go, so there were so many really interesting ideas. Some of them, of course, turn out to be absurd, but I don't know. I'm, I'm still scared. Maybe, maybe I'm just being too paranoid and maybe I've seen too many sci-fi movies and read too many books. But I, I think we are being naive if we think there's no chance of that kind of thing happening.
1: I wish I had a different opinion, but I'm with you.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, it's not, you know. I, I
1: I think, you know, that as um, a cybersecurity investor, like a lot of other people in the cybersecurity world, we're all a little bit paranoid. Some of us are very paranoid. I think it's what yeah. makes folks good, good in this industry. You have to be paranoid.
0: Why well, tell people all the time, I'm, I'm paranoid for a living? Right. You know, I'm the guy right. I walk down the street. I'm looking at shadows. I know when there are people behind. Now, part of that comes from growing up in a city like New York, where somebody might have been behind me. Um, but it's, you know, it's interesting um, to see how that how that goes. Right. So, well,
1: well, yeah, you can imagine a world where even if all of the nation states and corporate entities all play nice, there will be some organization that will unleash something for harm, whether it's for financial game or just to create chaos. And at the point where AI is mature, as I've talked about with some of my buddies, just like there's flash trading today, mm-hmm. there will be these flash AI, attack, defend, attack, defend, and it's, it's gonna be a little crazy.
0: Yeah. Well, there's the I'm a big Isaac Asimov fan, and he wrote and I can never remember Me the too. name of the book, but he he wrote a great book where these two planets were at war with each other, and the computers were running anything, and they couldn't figure out how to win, and a guy reinvents mathematics from scratch, and he builds in human, you know. Chaos essentially. And he's able to kind of rebuild it. And and I, I feel like in certain ways we're getting to that point, right? Where, you know, my kids, they use computers. They don't understand anything about how those computers work. You know, you mentioned you went to MIT, you know, like I learned how to use a computer when if you didn't program, you didn't have any tools, right? And and I just feel like we're getting to that point. If you remember a couple of years ago, Facebook had these bots that they created. And after about two days, they started having conversations and the researchers couldn't figure out what they were saying anymore. They uh-huh. invented their own language, so they shut them down. And I don't think those were necessarily going to launch missiles uh, like Cyberdyne systems, but right. it's scary. No you're,
1: yeah. no, you're right. You look at a generation of folks where all of the underlying technology has been abstracted away. I yep. think back to yeah. taking computer science classes back in 1990, 1991 at MIT, where we were burning microcode into EEPROMs. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I don't think a lot of folks now think about the underlying hardware base layer of software that is operating at that level. They think about, oh, okay, I, I know how to write Java, <laughs> or I know maybe how to write something in C or Python, but how right. it works at a lower level, and that gets scary, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. We, we lose the ability. Well, it's the old thing, right? There's no person on the planet that knows how to actually make a pencil by themselves, right? <laughs> because it's so much kind of. Right.
1: Let, let alone an, 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 let alone an NVIDIA GPU from scratch, if you had to start yeah, all over yeah. again.
0: And and think about it, right? Coming back to the AI topic, what happens when AI starts designing its own chips,
1: uh-huh.
0: right? And designing its own fabs. And, right. and I think that's where we start to.
1: All you know, right. I mean, as,
0: as it is now, they don't know. Most people don't know what's in the, in a lot of that hardware because they're pulling things from so many different sources.
1: Oh, that's right. You're pulling libraries. You don't know what are in the libraries. And then you have the worry that I know has come up over the last 20 years. You don't know whether some uh, malicious actor has inserted something into your chipset. You realize, right, with billions and billions of transistors. Wait a second. There's a few over here that, did those really belong there? Where do they come from?
0: Right. Yeah. And I also think as uh, you know, when I started doing security twenty-five years ago, thirty years ago, you could know everything about security. And now everybody is so, you know, so in their lane. And and, you know, my last job, I was helping a lot of CISOs that were looking to hire people. And I said, You guys are looking for, you know, the purple squirrel. There's no one that knows all these things. And that I think that level of complexity is partially why security has gotten So much more fun. Well, all I know is you will always have companies to invest in because I don't think this security thing is licked. I will always have a job. That's Uh, that's right. um,
1: Security is the gift gift that keeps on giving. (laughs) Or or
0: taking away.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's right.
0: So uh, earlier you so, had asked
1: about current state of the market. I don't know if you want to touch yeah. back on that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, of be- course. So,
1: so so beyond obviously all the exciting things that are happening in the security world of product and technology, uh, you know, the financial markets right now are pretty cool. And if you look at some, you know, amazing security companies out there that are going from seed stage to A or A to B, despite having great teams. Great tech, great product. They're still struggling to find that next round of capital, or if they can find it, the valuations are certainly not what they were 18 months ago. You know, you could look at, you know, going back 18 months, uh, a high-flying cybersecurity team with a pedigree, going after some interesting new segment of the market, or having, a, you know, a, a kind of a revolutionary uh, take on an existing segment could raise a seed round, you know, it wouldn't be out of the realm of reason to have that company raise at 50 to 100 million pre. And now you're, right? Great teams with a really good idea could get funded. And then you'd look at, you know, other companies, you know, on a million of ARR could get a valuation north of 100 million. I was seeing 100 to 200X revenue multiples. And now those same companies today are coming back down to earth and it's hard, especially if you've already raised at a high valuation to then raise your next round. And if your revenue hasn't grown four or five X as the revenue multiples have come down, you know, in many cases, uh, you know, five to 10 X, you know, you could end up even with great growth at a lower valuation today than you were 18 months ago.
0: Well, we had, and uh, that- Sean from Volition was in uh, the office a couple weeks ago when we did our sales kickoff. And he said to your point that it's no longer about growth. Now they're starting to look at efficiency, which is something they didn't really care about That's before. Right. right? So exactly you know, net, right. net dollar retention and, and those kinds uh-huh. of
1: things. Yeah. So 18 months ago, a company with a million five to two million of ARR going from seed to A would have raised their A at least north of 50 million valuation. Some would have done it north of 100. Again, it's all dependent on team and the market and whether you're the first or how much IP you have. You know, different factors for different companies. But uh, those companies today can't do that.
0: Right. Yeah. It's crazy.
1: And then, and then, you, and then you look at, you know, the exits out there, you know, what was the last big exit in cyber?
0: Yeah. I, you know what? I, I keep my head down. I do. I just yeah. do what I got to do. I don't, I don't look Yeah, yeah it just and, 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 gives and me it, a
1: headache. And as the public markets have declined and the revenue multiples <laughs> for some of the high flyers like Palo Alto and CrowdStrike have come down, you know, they're not going to pay more than their current multiple for new revenue that they they'd attained through an acquisition right so yeah. so the high-flying exits of uh you know 18 to 24 months ago aren't happening there's some interesting things happening in the world of private equity they may be the better buyer segment for the next uh, 12 months as you talked about you know we're in a economic funk right now i don't know whether it's officially a recession in, in uh the tech world, by, or uh, not? But by by certainly... some measures,
0: it is. By some, it's not. And I think uh, you know how long it's going to be, and 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 those kinds of things. So
1: yeah, but I think as the will public see. markets pop to a higher level, and maybe that drives some M and A, uh, and that then reignites the venture world to start putting more money to work, things will start to uh, heat up a bit.
0: Yeah. Well, that is, we that is your are, bailiwick, my friend.
1: Yeah. I was going to say, we obviously all can't sit on our committed capital from our LPs forever. At some point it right. needs to be deployed.
0: Right. It's at, yeah, the set. Sometimes the money's got to move. So, all right, Rick, right. Um, we are running up against our time. Uh, I want to be cognizant of your schedule. So let's do a quick recap. So, um, Favorite comedy, Young Frankenstein. Great, great choice. Apparently, I'm a bad father for showing it to my kid when she was much younger, but eh, that's what it is. So um, so AI is a feature, not a market. Uh, we're seeing a lot of movement, but there's definitely still uh, some opportunity. Uh, and the markets are going to be in turmoil for uh, the foreseeable future, it sounds like. Any final thoughts, my friend, before we uh, send everyone on their merry way?
1: No, I think uh... – well, yes, I shouldn't say no. Uh, I just want to leave everyone with some level of optimism Optimism with all the doom and gloom we talked about with killer robots and AI bots <laughs> that are going to take down the world. I think that, uh, you know, for the foreseeable future, you know, AI will be contained into these very finite use cases that are more productive and defensive than, uh the opposite of being detrimental to society. So I think, you know, the industry that you and I are in is doing more good than than harm overall. And uh, right. you know, that's what we're investing in: our companies that can help better defend our companies, defend the country, defend our allies, and uh, not take planes out of the sky or Mate. other
0: nasty thing. No, so. it's, a, it's a great point. I mean, people, people ask me why I left Gartner to come to, to Black Kite. And part of the reason was, and I know this sounds maybe naive, but I feel like I can do more good here because I'm, I'm much closer to the, to the problem. That's right. So That's right. All right. Uh, so again, thanks to Rick Grinnell uh, from Glasswing Ventures to ha- joining us today. Uh, so I want to thank you all for uh, viewing another episode of Risk and Reels. I am your host, Jeffrey Wheatman. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Stay secure, Wheatman out.
1: Thank you for listening to Risk and Reels, a cybersecurity podcast. Be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to riveting
0: 30-minute conversation about movies and cybersecurity. Jeffrey will be on the road this year at some of the industry's biggest events, but you can always find him on LinkedIn and Twitter at Jeffrey Wheatman. This podcast is powered by BlackHite, the only security rating service to deliver the highest quality intelligence to help organizations make better risk decisions.